When the court service, the probation service and mental health services get things wrong in the UK, it's often a quite spectacular fallout with each service blaming the other and much infighting. When all three of them fail and a killer is released without proper supervision and monitoring, as they appear to be managing, it's hardly surprising to many when the person goes on to kill again. One of those, but it shouldn't have happened events. What is surprising is the killer's apparent genuine remorse in the case of the second murder. This is the case of Trevor Glynn John Dix, and this is Murder Me on Monday. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Murder Me Monday podcast. I'm Cameron, and joined with me, his mother. Hello. When you sent me this, I don't know why, but Trevor Glynn John Dix, that made me laugh. I knew it would. It's spelt with an X, not a CK. I, I am a child. I don't know why it made me laugh. Yeah. So if you'd like to support us via patreon.com, where you get early access and exclusive content and stickers should you want them, please do consider it. Our podcast host offers something similar. You can make one-off donations or regular donations, but for now, exclusive content is only available on our Patreon. We'll put the link in the show notes and also on our socials, and it'd be great if you could check it out if you can support. But if you can't, we understand. But leaving a review is good too. Little con- little caveat to that: exclusive content doesn't mean porn, by the way. <laughs> Some people don't know that. You, you see exclusive content written to someone's Instagram, you go, "That's porn." <laughs> <laughs> I thought this would be a really super easy case to research after watching a documentary on it years ago, and I needed that after the marathon session I put on earlier this week on another case. Oh no, it couldn't be simple, could it? I'll explain all the strangeness as we go along, but let's start with the guy's name, Trevor. Glyn John Dix. The Glyn is a nickname, isn't it? No, it's not. It's actually his name. Why is it in quotes then? Because that's what he's known as. He was known as Glyn. Everywhere you look for him, if you put in Glyn Dix, you'll get that. And you will also find news reports where the Trevor and the John are mixed up. Sometimes it comes out as John Dix. It's a problem when 75% of your name is made up of first names. Yes. Yeah. So, born in 1954 in Cheltenham. And nothing at all is out there regarding any family or upbringing. Now, Cheltenham, Gloucestershire, it's posh. It's on the edge of the Cotswolds. And home to GCHQ, the UK government spy base. That's not actually a secret. Glyn probably didn't grow up posh because by the age of 25 in 1979, he was working as a hospital porter and renting a very ordinary house with his then partner. Some places say a flat, but the pictures I've seen show a house. Now, the landlords of this place were a local married couple. He was a builder and his wife, Pia, worked in a local cake shop. And between them, they were trying to build up a property portfolio. And it was Pia's job to go and collect the rent. It's 1979. Bank transfers were not a thing. And a weekly rent book was still very common in the UK. Pia struggled getting the rent from Glyn and his partner. No idea what she did for a living or if she even worked. But it seems they couldn't keep up financially. I have a question. Yes. Are they English, the landlords? Name like Pia or Pia. I've not heard that before. Pia. Yeah, Pia is. Uh, yeah, she was English. I'm just wondering if that might be a, a reason as to why she can't press for the money. Because back then, racial prejudice might have been funny. If she went to the police, they would, she would have probably got into trouble. I just wondered. No, she's. It, she apparently she was just very um, soft-hearted. She yeah. let she let him get away with it. She put up with excuses 
under the, every round excuse under the sun. And we're not talking, I'll be a few days late with the rent this week, come Tuesday instead of Saturday. It was months and months who were behind. And she just kept going with it. And it's when you get to that kind of a level of debt of months behind in rent, it's really, really hard to dig yourself out of it, especially if you're on a relatively low income, which being... Being poor is expensive. Yeah. Being a hospital porter, it's not a flashy job, but it was a safe job. It was a secure job. You would have had a good pension at the end of it. Probably would have been paid overtime. Wouldn't have been buckets of money, but would have been livable. Would have buckets of shit being a porter. Well, October 1979, Pia is supposed to be at work at the cake shop when one of her children goes in to see her around lunchtime. But she isn't there, and none of the staff knows where she is. Now, 79, people didn't chase you up if you didn't turn in for work there were no mobile phones you wouldn't have texted someone you might have rung them but you just waited for them to turn up the next day the family expect her to turn up later it was one of her children's birthdays and of course it was a family dinner and presents were a thing but Pia never arrived home she's eventually reported as missing five days later 7th of October Pia's Mini, her car, is found in the car park at Gloucester Railway Station, which is about eight miles from Cheltenham. There was nothing in it. It was just parked there in a big car park. Nobody would have taken any notice of it being sat there for a few days. They had no idea how long it had been there. Was a thing that drew attention to it because it had been parked there for so long? Because back then they wouldn't have had the tech to identify that it was just someone's car abandoned. I'm wondering if there's a Mini parked up for four days, tickets on it or whatever. And they think, oh shit, whose is this? And then you look into it. I'm wondering why that drew attention. Or was it post finding her body and then shit, where's her car? No, it wasn't post finding her body. But there's no explanation whether it was a case of somebody reported, hang on, that car's been there for five days or whatever or, or a week. Uh, well, it wasn't. It was five days after she went missing that the car was found. Now, station car parks, people often park there. And then go off on holiday. You could really? get, yeah, you could get long-term car parks. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you get long, long-term stays, don't you? Yeah. So maybe they back put, then, really? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the police found it because they were just doing a tour and they had a registration plates. Yeah. Don't, I, wait, it's not explained anywhere. I was just wondering, was that the cause for them knowing that she'd been missing if her car had been abandoned for five days, or was it post? I was wondering what came first, but reported missing. Yeah. Yeah, because she had young children and she should have been home for this birthday party. Three weeks after Pia was reported as missing, an unfortunate dog walker spotted something strange in the undergrowth at Hartbury, which is about 13 miles away from Cheltenham. It was just a copse of woods that people had walked their dogs. It was, it was out in the middle of nowhere. This dog walker goes in for a closer look and wish they hadn't when they realise it's a decomposing body. It was such an isolated spot that that poor dog walker had to scoop up the dog, children, and dash off to report. Again, no mobile phones. Police discover the body had been tied to a tree, gagged, and shot in the back of the head. The autopsy also showed Pia, whom the body obviously was, had also been sexually assaulted. They find Pia's handbag nearby and a shell casing for a very small shotgun, a point. 410 means nothing to me. The police didn't take too long to find out about the tenant who didn't pay his bills and go and have a chat. Glynn is not a suspect at that point, but the stress of being interviewed tips him over the edge and he swallows a handful of pills. Now, while that meant he had his stomach pumped in the hospital, the staff, who thinking about this, may have very well have known him, 
I think he's far more unwell than is on the surface and had him taken to a psychiatric facility. And it seems that he is then diagnosed with schizophrenia. Lots of experts now in the current time says that he actually had something called schizoaffective disorder, which is actually broken down into two problems. Schizophrenia, which is usually the psychosis part, and a mood disorder. It's usually either bipolar or depression. And then it's broken down into three subtypes. This schizoaffective disorder was in the DSM-4 from 1995, but there were a lot of problems with that diagnosis. And people are often lumped in when they have other things wrong with them. So who knows if he did have that? It's just schizophrenia as far as away. 1979, mental health diagnoses were much more black and white then than they are now. It's much more about disorders and multiple things being put together these days, isn't it? Yeah, it's not, it's not a catch-all. No. The police get to hear about this hospitalisation and are starting to get very interested in Glynn, especially when they track down every owner of guns that could fire that bullet and they manage to trace one back to Glynn. There's no mention I can find anywhere about licensing and such, but Gloucestershire, it's rural enough that it wouldn't be unusual for someone to hold a shotgun back then, you know, and have the license. And he had no prior criminal history that I'm aware of. So he possibly did have it legitimately at that time. It's not, I can't confirm that because as per usual, I can't get the court transcripts. <coughs> yeah. He tells the police that he and his partner were very good friends with Pia. But now remember, this is all according to him. None of it's verified. So when Pia tries to take her life in front of him and his partner in 1979, he stopped her. Why would a happily married mother of two do such a thing? According to Glynn, Pia's 12-year marriage had been deeply unhappy for the last six years and she had had enough. Glynn said that things got so bad that Pia wanted Glynn's help in finding a hitman to take care of her husband. So she couldn't take she couldn't take being beaten anymore and had two thousand pounds saved up to pay for one. Is there any uh, evidence of abuse from Pia? No. No. No, not. Mm. no, not at all. She didn't want Glynn to do it himself, no, just she just wanted his help to find one. Now, a hospital porter pre-internet days, obviously. He has those connections, doesn't he? Maybe he did have some odd ones, it's possible. Because he did tell Pia he'd managed to find two hitmen. I mean, what's the chances? These guys are on standby. And she has to go with him to meet one of them to clarify the requirements of the hit. And this is a story coming from Glynn. Glynn to the police. And I can imagine the police officers. It's, it's, it's very quickly getting quite convoluted, isn't it? Yeah. So... Adding into this, as you said, Cameron, there are no mentions of Pia being abused. She was never seen with bruises or marks, which is possible. The children never saw anything. Again, it's possible. But the only person... Has ever had any report is the guy that they're kind of suspecting now who doesn't pass the sniff test. Yes. Yeah. He says he meets with her that day in October and takes her out to the woods. And it's not clear how but he convinced her to let him tie her to a tree. It's a, 
it's a really convoluted story that I read that in one place only. And I'm like, I don't know where you got that information from. I'm, I'm not even going to run with that. So I don't know. Okay, I, I've been inebriated. I've been a bit sideways mentally, depending on certain substances. But I've never thought, tie me to a fucking tree. And gag me. Yeah, and, and, and gag me. Oh, and I've also given you two grand to find a hitman. You might be killing me. He says, he, he goes he goes to the police and says that there is another explanation, actually, because he actually untied her and they decide that they're going to do some practice target shooting. So the hitman have dropped out and he's got this gun. And he decides that while her back is turned, he will put her out of her misery with her husband and shoots her in the head. Wait, so he... Wait, hang on. So he <laughs> just admitted to killing her then? Yeah. But... It's an act of mercy. But uh, but she was tied to the tree when, they, when people found her. So then what he's saying is he, he fucking put her back up there. Uh-huh. And she was gagged and she'd been sexually assaulted. Hmm. He, of course, also tells the police that he intended to kill himself, but couldn't bring himself to do so, as per usual. They'd always say that. I've got a question. I should have asked it earlier when it was more relevant. You said that he hadn't been able to pay rent for a long period of time. Yeah. He, and he has a girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. Glenn had a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Was there any sort of record of substance abuse history or mm. something? I can't find anything. So where's the money going? It, it, it could be back then alcoholism, whatever. It could be gambling debts for what yeah. someone knows. But for two people, I, I assume the girlfriend worked as well, to not be able to pay rent at least. Back then with how little rent would cost from your total monthly income. I know. So I, I'm wondering where has it gone? Most of the time, as I say, people do things because of their material conditions. He ain't got money, so he's going to do something fucky to get money. But when he does have money, what does he spend it on to not pay the rent in the first place? I know. I, I've got no answers for you or for anybody else. That's like, this is what the frustrating part about this one. And I, I I might get some answers. I'll explain later in a little while why I might get some answers. But I don't moment, expect you to have all the answers, by the way. It's just I'm wondering, you might find, yeah, someone reported you, it was a, you liked the booger sugar or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've never heard it called that. Right. So on October the 28th, 1979, 26 days after her murder, Glynn was charged with Piers' murder. They only took him in for initial investigation because... Is that a word? Yes. I've never been doing a fucking podcast on true crime for like two years, <laughs> but I, I, I still haven't got the terminology. So they just suspected him of having committed this. He didn't. They didn't actually know. This. They thought, oh, this guy's like a weird conviction. He's, he owes them back money and back rent. Let's ask him. And then he inadvertently admitted to it. Or not even inadvertently, he just admitted to doing it, basically. Overcome with remorse, hence the suicide attempt, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And he showed him where the gun was, so they, you know, they had him banged to rights by that point. He'd hidden it somewhere and he showed him it. So he tried to plead not guilty by diminished responsibility, not insanity. Now, what that actually means is it's just what's known as a partial defence and it should have reduced the charge to manslaughter, not murder. Now, interestingly, when the judge predictably said, well, the jury will need medical evidence of how his responsibility was diminished to even look at a reduced charge, Glynn changes his mind and just pled guilty. All I can surmise from that is that he did not want the court or the jury to hear his full medical history which could have revealed far more than he wanted oh so you thought if they went digging it would actually turn out worse for him so you thought oh don't poke the bear there is a couple of cases that i read about when researching this where people did exactly this because they didn't want the court one was 
I didn't follow into what these cases were about, but one didn't want the court to know that they'd been diagnosed with diabetes. But wh- why? I don't, I don't, I don't, and I can't even remember what the other one was. If there were... Out of all of them, diabetes? Yeah. No, I don't get it. It's 22nd of July, 1980. He is handed a life sentence at Bristol Crown Court, hence why I can't get a trial transcript. Now, I do not know if it was 10 years, you know, and then he could have had parole. But what there is, is hidden in the National Archives, an appeal that was made, I believe, in 1982. And it's closed. It was locked. It was supposed to be released in 2014, but it hasn't been. Now, technically, you can request via a Freedom of Information request. But I have my doubts will it ever be released. But I have requested it. Is that the thing that you texted me about last night? Yeah. They haven't asked for my firstborn grandchild in response. And I'm assuming that even if I'm allowed to get it, it'll take weeks and weeks. They say 20, 21 days, I think. It, you said, are we a, a journalist now or something? Yeah, does and that I, make and I was like, I was like, independent journalism. Yeah. I've actually asked, submitted this freedom of information request to get my hands on this court transcript well it's this appeal okay. because they do a rerun of the court case usually in an appeal and then the grounds on why it's being appealed and then the you know passed or denied obviously it was denied because he was in there but until i get my hands on it if they let me have it i don't know so glenn's in prison presumably medicated and seemingly doing fine in 1997 he has a much younger cellmate, Adam, who's inside for a short stint on motoring offences. They get on really well, but it's during visiting hours that things perk up for Glyn as Adam's mother comes to visit him and she is very much to Glyn's liking and she is equally taken with Glyn. He's in prison. Yes. I know some women that like murderers and they, they've kind of become weirdly obsessed. I'm yes. not sure if it's that I can change him type mentality or because the, what they've committed has been romanticized in media or because they kind of become a pseudo celebrity due to infamy. But he is actively in prison at the same time. He's not one of these famous, air quote, interesting killers. Man shells a, a jail cell with your son who's in on something that is, you could argue not even necessarily his fault. Maybe he drove that insurance without realizing. Maybe it was drink driving. But he killed someone. I know. There's this whole um, reality TV shows about people that date. No, no, but he's not even one of the good ones. No. He's not even an interesting one by comparison. So I, I don't see what the allure is. I'm not saying he's better because he didn't kill more people. But with a lot of the cases, it's because there's an interesting, crazy allure that these women find attractive. But he doesn't have that. So I, I, don't, I don't know what it would be. Well, pick, your be- pick men better. This may, it may be linked into what her family believe, and I'll get into this later. He was, he's described by her family as incredibly manipulative and calculating. Okay. Um, So it's a possibility that he set his sights on her. And think about this. He's inside. He might get out at some point. If he can prove that he's in a stable relationship. It's seen as better when you're out on parole and stuff, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. So, Glyn and Hazel, Adam's mother, become pen pals and they get along great. And she often visited him in prison long after Adam had been released. They get on so well that on the 5th of November 1999, Hazel, 
then aged 49, and 45-year-old Glyn are married. He's given day release, and there are videos out there of them getting married in a registry office, and it's full of guests, full of family. I'm obviously for pro-rehabilitation. That's one of my, my biggest shticks, I feel yes. like, is how the current prison system's not designed to actually make people well again when they leave, and they're just recidivism rate etc but this guy's was still in prison kind of when you've like met up with him and married him he, he hasn't had the opportunity to come out and then not commit a crime again for x amount of time to know that okay the likelihood of re- him reoffending is pretty low he, he's still actively done the whole go to bedroom and think about what you've done bit he, he's not finished let him come out and see if he doesn't do something again uh, yeah i know i've got nothing cameron because i completely agree with you I'm, I'm not even blaming her she might love him and he, so he's manipulative so it's not necessarily her fault he might be on the, the good side and he actually is and he wants to kind of like meet you and fall in love, etc. But like he kind of hasn't proven himself yet. And he, as someone who has done something wrong in the first place, you have to go through that extra step to, to prove that, don't you? Well, not you, him, obviously, is what I'm saying. He ain't done it yet. And we're only about halfway through, so fucking something else happens. Well, there are conflicting accounts whether Adam and his mother, Hazel, knew why Glyn was in prison. Some say no, they had no idea. Prisoners talk about why they're in prison all the time. Yeah. Especially in England, you've got like, I'm not sure if it was the same back then, but you have cat A, C, uh, A, B, C and D type prisons. His was a violent crime, so it's at least A. Not necessarily. He could have been in a cat C by that point. Adam was in yeah, there. Yeah, after for... a long period of time, if it's for, for a driving conviction. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And Glyn apparently convinced them he was framed. And I'll get into why and how a little bit later. I, I, I don't believe that they didn't know why he'd been in, in that, I believe, Glyn lied to them. The only people that don't talk about why they're in prison are the paedophiles. Yes, and they're usually segregated anyway, aren't they? Yeah, they're the, they get put in a protected wing. Yeah. Often with ex-police officers that have committed crimes as well. Yeah. So that don't forget, internet is still in its absolute infancy and no laws are then in place in the UK whereby you could go down to the police and say, does my new partner have a criminal history I should be aware of? Heck, even now, police will go to someone who is a new partner sometimes and tell them that your new partner is someone who's got a history because they're really worried about the person that's gotten involved with somebody that's come out with a hinky history. And there's no way of they had of verifying what he had told them because he, he says everything that you read in the papers, because it was in the papers... It's yeah, because it's a pretty gruesome I- image. A woman tied to a tree, gagged and killed. It's almost ri- ritualistic. That would be in the newspaper. That's just not someone who's, who's robbed a post office and shot someone. That's something specific. It's not a bar fight. Someone got stabbed. That stands out. You may be onto something there, which is something I hadn't actually occurred to me. And we could talk towards the end on that one because I know where my head went with it. But also as well, he's in prison. And as I said, he's probably properly medicated. So he's able to function. And he probably, he may not be doing particularly well from the side effects, but his brain is working and this is where the manipulation comes in. I said that this family, they would have had no way of knowing. They could have read news reports, but we are talking 1979 when when this happened. And this is in 2000s when, well, 1999 when Hazel married him. 
The only thing the family could have done at that point is gone down to the local library and sat in front of a microfiche machine and looked through hours and hours and hours worth of newspapers. And some would do that, but most people wouldn't. Would it they? is a large investment when it's just a hunch. Yeah. And if you've got no clue what microfiche is, think of looking at old-fashioned negatives of pictures, but a proper screenshot of a newspaper on a big old screen. I've seen it. They're kind of worth it because it can clunk and the paper slides through. They see it a lot in movies, don't you? I've had to use them when I worked, when I first started work. That dates you, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, does, does. And it's one of those things as well. If you want to read the page, you can't actually stay on it too long. You have to issue it, ask for it, or print of it. Because if you stayed on that page too long, you could melt the tape due to the heat. I was going to say, does it burn into the image? Yeah. Yeah. You've seen that in films as well. Yeah, I'm bloody old. You get it on TVs now. If If you pause the screen for too long and you come back, it can permanently burn the image onto the screen because it damages the pixels. It's not the same thing with that, obviously, but... It's not far off, yeah. 2001, Glenn is released from prison on licence. So, basically, you can do anything... You do anything wrong and you're hauled back inside. And as we said, it's very possible that that getting married to Hazel influenced how he managed to get released because he moves in with her in a place called Redditch. It gives him credence, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm in a stable relationship. I'm less likely to do something bad. Yeah. So he moves in with her in Reddit in Worcestershire, which is about an hour north or 36 miles from our starting point of Cheltenham. And a bit of useless information which really tickled me. In the 19th century, Redditch became the international centre for the needle and fishing tackle industry. And at one point, 90% of the world's needles were manufactured in the town. It just... I thought that was fascinating. It's not a big place. It's got about 85,000 residents. And I'm sorry. Um, a sidebar. One of a podcaster's nightmares is mispronunciation. The BBC used to have a department that specialised in how to pronounce names and places people had never heard of so we could avoid insulting some foreign country or dignitary. Think Colin Powell. I remember watching news reports and I'm like, okay, that's an unusual name. That's fine. You know, he was general. He was a big, you know, and then we saw it written out and we're all like, it's Colin. It's Colin. Yeah. But no, they pronounce it as Colin. So we pronounce it as Colin out of respect, isn't it? This department's been disbanded and us mere plebs have to resort to Google. and It doesn't always go well. I do try or I might skip over a name that I completely, I just can't. Well, you try for 10 minutes. It doesn't work. And then we just change the name. Yes. So you don't say it because we give up. Well, Worcestershire, there's a video or a TikTok that's doing the rounds of somebody confidently pronouncing it as Cherie sauce or something. And there's a British lad called Shabazz who epically roasts them. It was like seven syllables. It's hysterical to hear as a Brit. And I'll, I'll possibly link that to our socials when this episode is released because it's that funny, it, yeah. it, especially because of the Worcestershire. And if you're not a Brit and you're wondering, Worcestershire, Worcester sauce is a condiment you tend to add to cooking to a bit of a kick. The original Liam Perrins had anchovies, has anchovies in it. But if you're vegetarian like me, sarsens do not and you don't have the anchovies in. So if you want to add it to the cheese on toast, that elevates it to Welsh rarebit, I think. Off you go. Back on track. They carry on married life. Hazel's adult children live very close by with one daughter living just over the road opposite. And all is well for a while. The family liked Glyn, except for Hazel's brother. He had his doubts about Glyn, but according to him, Hazel had told him that Glyn had actually been 
framed for the murder. Yes, that old steaming pile of dung. The brother recounts that Hazel had said that Glynn had been in some sort of elite army unit. What? Marines? SAS? I don't know. Apparently he'd been on manoeuvres in rural Gloucestershire, as the army do when they've got enormous camps set up specifically for that in Aldershot, Catterick and Borden and other places. And he got knocked out and woke up next to a dead body of his landlady. Yeah, no. But Glynn's mental state is unravelling and no one picks up on this. No one. Well, his wife and her family are not mental health practitioners, so they get a pass. But surely his probation officer should have noticed and surely he was under the care of a local mental health team. Anyone? He started to decorate the house that he and Hazel lived in. Not a few dado rails, a lick of magnolia or a patterned wallpaper feature wall for him. Oh no, massive murals, full wall-sized and it takes him years. I think the one in the kitchen or the dining room was some type of green serpent from what I remember. I can't find it online. But it was enormous. It went up and round a doorway and it had a Japanese type feel to it. But it's the one in the bedroom, the one he spent the most time on, refining it and adding in details. First glance, it looks okay. It's not good art by any stretch, but okay. Not sure it's good for a, a bedroom either. And this stone hedge covered an entire wall. If you do manage to find these pictures somewhere, look closely. There does appear to be a figure or figures walking through the gaps between the stones. And again, psychologists have all sorts of interpretations of that, a sense of self stuff. And the conspiracy theorists are determined it's satanic. What happens next, again, varies by where you read. What is certain that Adam and one of his sisters went to their mother's house on the 14th of June 2004 and found Glyn in his birthday suit standing in the kitchen doorway holding a knife. Glyn standing bollock naked was bad enough but he was surrounded on the floor by blood and what they later determined was their mother Hazel's body parts, but they couldn't tell that at the time. She had been dismembered and there wasn't any blood on him. Apparently, he'd taken his blood-soaked clothes off and put them in the washing machine, as any normal person would do, you know. So he's looking at our adult children and says, we had an argument, and he's waving the knife at the floor, at the, the parts, and looks at the daughter, crooked his finger at her and said, come here. She shouted every expletive she'd ever learnt at him and ran for her house, locked the door and called the police. Police turn up and find that Glynn had stabbed Hazel and then dismembered her using a hacksaw into 16 parts, decapitating her and removing her heart, liver and kidneys. He had also cut off two of her middle fingers on her hand. That act alone is enough to send all these satanic theorists into a frenzy, saying it was so a hand would have a permanent sign of the devil. The decor he had set up in the kitchen as well may have added weight to that theory. There were candles everywhere. So, satanic temple, right? He made no attempt to flee and was waiting for the police and perfectly calm when they arrived. Question on the why he'd done it 
according to him, Hazel had wanted to watch wrestling on the TV and he wanted to watch football. And that's what started the argument. And then him stabbing her and going on his dismemberment spree using 12 different kitchen and garden tools. Lots of people thought, and still do, that Glyn had planned this for years. It's out there that Glyn murdered his wife on the day of the summer solstice, a date which is historical for sacrifices. No, he didn't. The summer solstice for 2004 was on the 21st of June. It's always on the 20th or the 21st of June. So that's one pile of rubbish. And I went down some daft roads looking at wondering what the significance of the 14th of June had to try and... Uh, it's a day off the middle of the year. It's two days off the middle of the year, isn't it? I ended up on a bloody satanic calendar site at one point. There's nothing. There's also this conclusion of his painting of Stonehenge. And it's Stonehenge may or may not have been a sacred ground for sacrifices thousands of years ago. It's the bedroom which was above the kitchen. And what sort of significance is that? Because he killed her in the kitchen. That's what these satanic people think. And again, it makes no sense. There's also rumours out there that where he lived in uh, Gloucestershire, he lived very, very close to a cafe that Rose West had. And I didn't even know she'd had one. I've not followed the Rose and Fred West story for donkey's years. That isn't the tuna, is it? It's John West. No, fuck. Fred West. What? Yes. <laughs> yes. We've spoken about this before. Yeah, Fred. <laughs> I still don't know who they are. I just know it's not the tuna guy. No. And apparently, again, Fred and Rosemary West were into satanic devil worship. Again, I've never seen that on any of the documentaries I have watched, but... Again, this is this weird link that people are making that I can't... thing is, that if he's got a history of schizophrenia or schizophrenic disorders, to him to have the delusions of granted to think there is something devil-related, he's been out of prison for probably what he would consider a pretty significant amount of time. I don't think it is too much of a leap for it to be almost satanic. The, f the first one, okay, you might be able to argue and say that that wasn't satanic. It just... He had to subdue her somehow, tie her up, and then kill her, but... It, you use the word ritualistic. Yeah, but I mean, to me, you tie anyone to a tree and kill them, it, it, it defaults to that imagery to me. It, it just kind of does. Especially in like woods and stuff, it can easily be seen that way. And w woods in at least English folklore and history have been always tied into the devil. So Yeah, hedge witches and things like well, that. Well, it's, it's getting lured away at night and stuff by voices you hear in the, in the woods when it was dark, when the night was scary. That's kind of thing that's tied into so the, the words in the uk have always been like that i mean we don't have any actually to be fair it's probably just a story to tell kids because we don't have any natural predators in the uk so oh there's a devil in the woods don't go in there true yeah what what he has done there based on that you took all the other stuff about stonehenge almost being the uh, solstice i must be in the middle of the year near the tuna man's house or whatever it, it it sounds it sounds satanic regardless. He's dismembered his wife into sixteen pieces. There might be significance into sixteen, or was he not done and got interrupted by the kids coming home or coming round? There's candles in that. Okay, he might just be a little bit of a hippie. I don't know, but it, for him to be bollock naked, like come here, no. Well, members of Hazel's family are said to have found Bible passages in the house, which were to do with the Antichrist. Again. Was it a book? Was it pieces of paper? What, what was it? There, there's no follow-up to that statement. And there was apparently a photograph of Glyn. Dis what, <laughs> this made me laugh, and I shouldn't, but it did. Displaying a hand gesture, which is commonly known as the devil's horns. 
And that had me thinking, well, that's half the metal musicians and a whole load of rappers, devil worshippers too. Uh, maybe I backed up their argument. I don't know. And Spider-Man. And Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I've read in a couple of places he showed no remorse, but also I've read that he was absolutely consumed with it after killing Hazel. And he refused to plead anything but guilty. And so at Birmingham Crown Court on the 16th of December 2005, and he was found guilty and sent immediately to Ashworth, which is one of our secure psychiatric hospitals, and he would never be released this time. But Glyn was also responsible for another death. Adam, Hazel's son and his former cellmate, was so racked with guilt at him being the one that introduced his mother to her murderer and with what he had seen that day, he started to suffer with PTSD and took to using drugs so he could sleep. I've heard amphetamines, but... I, uh, yeah, I know. That's why I didn't... Yeah. They're not going to make you sleep. Amphetamines don't make you sleep. No. no, no. So, again, dodgy reporting, but I do believe he got into the drug world. Yeah. And he died at the age of 39. Probably accidentally... But some wonder if it just became too much for him to bear. It wouldn't be much of a logical leap. No, illogical, no, definitely not. We're not finished. There was another monumental cock-up by authorities. One of Hazel's relatives wrote to Glynn at Ashworth in 2020, wanting to know more. The unanswered why, because an argument over a TV just didn't seem a good enough reason to them. You can understand why. That letter was returned to them, marked, no longer here. Now, they must have panicked like hell. Had he been released and no one was told, it happens. But no. It seemed he had died in 2014 at the age of 60. And whomever was in charge of notifying people would need sacking, as they claimed that relatives had moved and they couldn't find them. Hello, GCHQ down the bloody road. Ask them if needs be. You don't just give up. Is on that it. common procedure though? I, I I know what you're saying. There's a difference between what your job role is and what is morally and ethic ethically demanded of you. That is something I would personally go out of my way to do. But is that not is that the procedure for the job role still? I because would've... you could also argue and say it's not my responsibility to tell the prison when I have moved or not for me to get informed of this. It should kind of be. Your duty is to like house a prisoner and, and tell the family members things surrounding them, and you've not done that. So I'm just wondering where the procedure, where the line would be drawn. I genuinely do not know where they would stop. You know, they maybe had written to the last known address and it may have gotten returned to um, the prison. Or the you would have had office. phone numbers back then as well. Like, how hard would it have been to ring someone? And people carried phone numbers with them when they moved. Yeah, is, is that especially then, because now you're getting in towards the more modern era. Yeah, but... You don't need to use microfiches. You've got Google. Well, this was 2014, so they might yeah. not have done. We started getting rid of phones, didn't we? I haven't had a landline for 10 yeah, years, yeah. 10, 15 years. This guy had been dead for six years and no one knew. The hospital still haven't given any details of what or when in that year he died. So the date you may hear about the 1st of January can't actually be corroborated as no one can find a death certificate. So it may be another freedom of information thing somewhere. That's just an odd note. I didn't think death certificates were locked, but I've heard of them not being available before. Finally, some figures for you on killers who are released in the UK and go on to kill again. 
the Home Office released something back in 2012, and they're the only ones that I could find which showed that in one 10-year period of 2001 to 2010, 11, 29 people with homicide convictions went on to commit murder and six went on to commit manslaughter. Of those 29 murderers, 13 previously committed murder and 16 committed manslaughter. These are events that are not supposed to happen. Personally, from all the documentaries I've watched, I blame the parole boards for falling for what the psychiatrists sell them. You cannot know what is going on inside someone's head. All you can know and extrapolate from it is what they tell you. If they are clever and manipulative, they can fool you, no matter how good you think you are at seeing the signs. Not all killers are mentally ill, and not all mentally ill are killers. But add the two together, and you have to be more careful than the authorities have been. Oh, and there's another thing that's out there but it's never been expanded on. As I said, Pia, his first victim, was sexually assaulted and murdered. Now, that is what most would think of as a massive escalation of criminal behaviour, not a first-time act. Had he sexually assaulted others? We don't know. There's a much newer documentary that I've linked in the notes. I haven't watched more than a few minutes as I'd had a stomach full of this case by the time I finished. But it may be a good watch for some of you to fill in some of the family-related gaps because I know they're on that. Now, let's turn to the elephant in the room. <laughs> Satanism. I know you're buying it, but I don't. The family do and think that Hazel was set up as a long-term victim, and I respect their right to believe that, but I think it was actually all part of his mental illness, the paranoia, all the that going on. I honestly do think. We've seen it many times before, and it may well reflect back in what we don't know about his early years when there's this biblical passages in the house. What was he brought up as? And his mental illness has fed into it. And Yeah, which would lead it, surely though, to satanic, of, of satanic nature. Yeah, but not full-blown what you think has Satanism. Yeah, is. but it's not a monolith. It, it's not one rule for everyone. It's his interpretation of what that might be. So in a way you're saying yes you think it is but not a, a mainstream version because it, it won't behave as a monolith if he's got these bible verses you don't know what his upbringing was and he's doing these things that are congruent with satanic shit it's probably satanic shit i i genuinely think it's it, yes yeah, yes yes obviously it is a form of mental illness that has led him to doing it in the first place he's not doing it purely out of thinking that the devil is then for real whatever but i would say those two are the same thing if you think the devil is actively doing it or you're doing something on behalf of the devil, then yes, you are sort of, by definition, a bit fucking the head, aren't you? Well, yeah, you're completely right. And that is the last, the end of this week's episode. I've got nothing else if you want to chit-chat about something. You might have been trying to make a deal with the devil to get a fucking chin because he hasn't got one. <laughs> you look, it's worse than Andrew Tate's. This man looks like Ed from Ed, Ed and Eddie. It goes from <laughs> his nose down to his neck. It's horrific. He's not, he's not... Um, uh, it, we don't have to go into what he looks like. It doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it ain't good. No. Finally, the victims who should not be forgotten. Pierre Overbury, aged 33. Hazel Holmes, aged 54. And by extension, Adam Lambert, aged 39. So that is the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. 
You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder Me Monday Podcast. Email us at murdermemondaypodcast at gmail.com. Link to the Patreon and all that good stuff in the description below. And we'll see you next time. Much love. Peace. Bye.